on. Oh, hello, Miff Warhurst. Hello, Zanro. And welcome to our inaugural edition of Bang On. And it is a shortcut to all the conversations you will be having this week. See, I got that right, Zan. <laughs> One job. And I got through it. I was nervous. I'm already sweating. But you stopped halfway to congratulate yourself that you've got it right before finishing the sentence. I'm no good when I have to do anything properly. You know when you see your friend's Facebook statuses and they're talking about something that you've missed? Mm. Or maybe there's that think piece that everyone says you should read, but you then you click on it and like, I don't have time for this. We are here to help. Absolutely. We're going to help you out with uh, everything that's going on in the zeitgeist, music, art, stuff, everything. whatever we're kind of thinking about and talking about, we're going to bring to you every week. That is true. It's kind of like the CBF version of stuff you need to know. <laughs> and CBF, if you know it, is uh, can't be, that's it. And you and I have been having these conversations off air for many, many years, but we also get the chance to do a bunch of weird and wonderful stuff. And we were actually at an event just a few days ago uh, called All About Women, which went down at the Opera House in Sydney. It's been running for about five years for anybody who hasn't heard of it. It's basically a day-long kind of, you know, collection of talks featuring pretty much women uh, about women's issues in terms of, you know, a lot of feminism and stuff, but also about world issues just from a female perspective. And Gina Davis was the keynote speaker who I got to see in the morning on Sunday. Oh, man. How good was she? Now, tell me, what's her her premise? Because I was not aware that she's quite the activist for feminism prior to this. I had no idea. I just know her as a film actor. Thelma and Louise, great film, great kind of feminist film as well for its time. But I didn't didn't know about what she's, she's done in terms of, you know, other things. If you wanted a little reminder, this is what she sounded like in Thelma and Louise, a film that just celebrated 20 years and was very much a strong, you know, well-developed female character feminist film. Uh, And this is her as Thelma towards the end of the film. Something's crossed over in me and I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. Anyway, don't want to end up on the damn Geraldo show. Yeah. Uh, they're charging us with murder. Yeah, they say that we got to figure out if we want to come in dead or alive. Gosh. Do you see anything positive at all? So she was an amazing character who began as this, you know, seemingly ditzy housewife that really didn't have any sense of agency and had this incredible development over Mm. the the film. I loved her in that. She's played so many roles since. But in the meantime, she's also been like, well, she's a member of Mensa. Yeah. uh, For one part. She's a champion archer. And a few years ago. What? Hang on. Stop. Stop down. (laughs) Archer. What do you know? She qualified for the Sydney Olympics in archery. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Which I'd forgotten about. And when she was telling this, I was like, oh, yeah. She basically said on stage, you know, she's one of those very driven people. And she said, generally, when I do something, I take it to Olympics style level. Like, if she gets interested, she'll take it to the nth degree. Wow. And so I'm, I'm really excited that she's doing um, this thing uh, where she basically set up her own institute on gender in the media. And she does a whole bunch of research. It gets funding to do research on representations and equal representations of gender in the media. And some of the stats that she's gotten from this um, are pretty alarming, particularly when people talk about how things used to be and how they're so much better now in terms of uh, the roles of of women Mm. on screen, in film, in television. It's crazy stuff like... 
17% of people in crowd scenes are women. So not even yeah. like actual parts, but just the people in the background, which is not even a representation. Like the things that we're making up, fiction is worse than the reality, you know. It's yeah. The population worldwide is 50-50, so stuff like that. And, and obviously, think, you know. Do you think that feeds into things like unconscious bias? Because I've been thinking about that a lot lately, particularly the last few years coming back and doing music radio, thinking about the way I listen to women in music. And given that I only really saw, I saw didn't see that many when it came to sort of straight up rock bands. Um, that I have this sort of unconscious bias, a natural kind of um, joy for, for men in music rather than women. And do you think yeah. it's the same thing in film if you see that on screen? I think that you're right. Like we don't actually think about it um, and, and what, we're, what where it's coming from. In terms of music, I don't think that anyone would say, oh, yeah, I definitely like male or female music more. But when people look at, you know, musicians and they're, you know, of different genders, sometimes what people will go, oh, is that person a musician or are they a groupie or a girlfriend? Can mm. they actually restring their guitar? Whereas, you know, I don't think men come up as, against the same mm. sort of questions. And, yeah, on screen, like I think when you particularly look at things like kids films where it doesn't matter you know like finding nemo uh, in the whole of the ocean there's like two female fish <laughs> like it doesn't why does it matter whether they're male or female but there's just this tendency to go to have male voiced characters and that is something that really kind of blows my mind particularly when you think about how media consumption is the way that you form your view of the world so you're a little kid and you're watching telly and movies and you're thinking you know it's obviously entertainment but you're still thinking this is the way that the world is yeah so by the time you become an adult and you have to then make your own opportunities maybe you go out and you think oh well I haven't seen what I want to do on screen as a woman and I'm not like I know I sound like I'm dumbing it down but I really do believe that you believe that you can be what you can see yeah you know if I if I see a woman on stage playing a guitar like Courtney Barnett yep or Tash Sultana, I'm like, yeah, you know, girls are going to see that. The AFLW, the first funny official women's league in AFL football, finally all these girls are growing up going, I can have my own hero. I can do that when I grow up. Yeah. I don't have to be just a fan, you know. Well, that's it what really I, makes a difference. It does. That's what I was getting at, though, earlier is, like, you know, when we grew up, when I was growing up, rock was credible and that was all men predominantly, aside from mm. a few, whereas pop was female and that was generally all women and within critical circles was never actually recognised um, in terms of, you know, the critical acclaim it deserved in terms of pop songwriting and that sort of thing. So I do think that, you know, you, you, you be what you see and I didn't see enough women making, you know, contemporary sort of guitar music and it's only really starting in a greater way now on a, on a broader level, which is, which is great, but you, it still needs, there still needs to be more to actually change that sort of ingrained way of thinking that, that you know what men make is credible and what women make is you know pop and not as credible which i totally i totally disagree with it now but for a while i think i thought that How's your unconscious bias when it comes to Eurovision, Miff? I have no <laughs> unconscious bias whatsoever. You talk down about Eurovision, I will have, <laughs> I will have your heart in my hand. 
<laughs> that would make a good song, though, wouldn't it? And a great performance. Yeah, absolutely. Your heart in my hand. I freaking love Eurovision. Am I allowed to say freaking on an Yeah, you podcast? can say whatever you want. I can feel the passion good, in your voice. Good, I adore it. And um, I always have. I, I, I don't know what attracted me to it. When I was a kid, I just couldn't get enough of the costumes and the, you know, the power ballads and the cheesy pop and all those things. Like we were talking about before about pop, I wasn't supposed to like, you know, because all the critics were into sort of, you know, far more sophisticated things. But I loved this stuff. We and, um, are the heroes of our time. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love Eurovision and Australia has just announced their uh, next entrant in the competition and I'm super excited that it is a gentleman who won, um, what's that show? on X Factor? X Factor. See, don't even care about the show. No interest. <laughs> it's a factory for Eurovision now Isn't though. It? Well, it is, but that's fine because the guy they got is Isaiah Firebrace. He's 17 years old. He is just divine. He's from Moama in New South Wales. And I, I love it. He's from Moama. Close to my heart because Echuca Moama were like the, the twin cities on the Murray River and just mm. Up the road was my nana's place in Swan Hill, and then we're up the road in Mildura. So I feel I feel a river heart connection. I definitely Isaiah. got drunk on a few too many UDLs in Moama yeah. over a New Year, and That's... then went water skiing the next day yeah. to, to wear it off. <laughs> definitely you know feel we, the connection. We used to, you know, we used to use the river as an esky. You <laughs> just put your cans. You put a rope around your cans and just tie them into the water. That was our oh, the little bogan that could me for her. I know, I know, but I'm so happy he's doing it. And look, he can sing. He's, got, he's actually got a beautiful sort of soulful voice. But it Representing Indigenous community as well. He's going to have the Australian flag and the uh, Australian Aboriginal flag as well for oh, Eurovision. Awesome. So, you know, I just, that's what Eurovision is to me. It's it's just so many layers of bringing cultures together and coming coming together through song. Sure, it's quite often a very cheesy song, but I'm so up for it. I can't you are so you. saying all of this with a, your hand on your heart, mm. pledging allegiance. You were there last year though as well, weren't you? I mean, you got oh. to see it up close. I wasn't there. I was a, I was very honoured to be an Australian judge. Oh, so okay. Got, judging so, from afar. Judging from afar in the SBS studios in Sydney at four o'clock in the morning. I think our taxi calls three because you have to do it live. So because there's no mucking around here, it's very serious business. There's a lot of rules that need to be adhered to. And it was me. It was Monica Trapani uh, from Play School. Yes. And um, a couple of other people, music producers, that sort of thing. And um, one Shannon Knoll. <laughs> Who may I want to live. You just take more than you give. Oh, sorry, bung no. <laughs> Hang on, I'm not, this, again, I'm going to show my very conscious bias here. Nolsey, many people, you know, have been very close to their heart, Australian hero, but what does he know about world pop music? Well, this is the thing, everyone, the, the joke was that Nolsey had been robbed, of course, because Guy Sebastian was the first Australian mm. as a guest of Eurovision. He was part of it.
So, yeah, Nolsey got to come in as a judge. I think it was kind of like a, you know, uh, a, a, an olive branch, perhaps, for Nolsey. But I, can, <laughs> I can't tell you how excited... Nolsey's doing fine! No, yeah, he is. He's totally doing fine. Have you checked in with his Facebook of late? There's a hot tip. God. His Facebook is the best thing you will ever, ever read. There's people on it that just troll him constantly about, like, he puts up a post and then they just write these most hilarious responses for Nolsey, <laughs> which include things that Nolsey has to give back in every update. It's amazing. Go and have a look. You will laugh and laugh and laugh. And he's to- and Nolsey's totally across it as well. Oh, so he's in on the joke. He's in on the joke now. Oh. But it's been going on forever. But, yeah, I roll up at 4 o'clock in the morning and, and who's out the front smoking a dart? Uh, out the front, I said, who's that? And there's Nolsey. So I'm sitting next to Nolsey for the entire thing and it was just it was just a joy to behold, you know, a man, a man who knows a power ballad next to you judging Eurovision, the home of the power ballad. It was extraordinary and um, no one will probably tell you that at the end of the uh, end of the day, which was 8am mind you, because <laughs> you know, it's, it, we were done, we were so exhausted and so we didn't <laughs> we, cracked, we cracked the bottles at 8 <laughs> Monica from Play School, she was great. Oh my god! <laughs> Amazing. What yeah. about me? Oh god. What about me? What about me? A silent tear. Take a, a step single, back for the little people. Single tear. Sure, it was a moving pictures song, but that's okay, Nozzy, it's yours. <laughs> He's actually a really delightful guy. It was lots of fun. And I nearly bought his horse. I wonder how many other times we're going to talk about... What? Hang on, what? He's got a horse and I, I was said I would, like, delete this from the podcast, please. I don't even know why I brought that up. It's true. I nearly just did Where would you put the horse, Mitt, in your no, backyard? I, I was going to take over the ownership of his horse for a little while. But oh anyway. <laughs> There's a book in this somewhere. More stories of Nolsey and his horse, possibly, will dot uh, the coming episodes. No. If you're listening now and you're thinking, I never want to miss another Nolsey moment or any other moment of Bang On, subscribe. Wherever you're listening to it, maybe you just press play. Uh, click on that other button that says subscribe and a new episode will be delivered to you every single week. Yeah, we love it if you subscribe. Now, Miss, <laughs> That was a hot sell, wasn't it? <laughs> Please subscribe. We'd love it. That's it. Just just subscribe. We just need some positive affirmations in our life mm. in this week of, of Eurovision and also in a week where uh, Beauty and the Beast has been oh, <laughs> is... talked about introducing a gay moment in the, the brand new Beauty and the Beast film. This is a live-action film. I'm very excited about seeing this. Yeah, super excited. Well, or maybe not. I, I like the 80s TV series a little bit better, to be honest. Do you remember that one? Beauty and the Beast. That Hang was... on, was that the panel show? No, no, no. We're not talking oh, Stan right. Zamanik show. Okay. No, no, there was an actual, like, drama on... It was like an ongoing TV series. It's so 80s. Look it up online. It's one of the funniest things you will ever see. But, yeah, this is the new, this is the new movie. And what they've done in this one, and I think this is kind of wonderful in terms of what we are saying before, you know, be what you see. Mm. Um, Disney it's, are behind this, obviously, because they only choose cheese. Um, Disney 
have made this and there's they've involved a, a gay moment, a subtle gay moment. It's the first time in a Disney film uh, between uh, the well, the main character is it LeFou? I want to know what gay moment means because that know. could mean so many things. I know. Well, they're not telling us. They're going to make us have to go and watch the movies, and that's the whole point. It's a good way to hit all markets, though, isn't it? Totally. Saying gay moment yeah. in inverted commas. <laughs> but of course, you know, conservative groups are completely outraged as they are. You know, I think the state of Alabama is considering not showing the film or at least giving it an adults only rating. And Russia has actually was considering banning it, but uh, oh, have geez. given it a you know sixteen plus rating or an adults only rating, which seems pretty odd um, in this day and age. But you know, these little things I think do make a difference in terms of changing the way people think and and making you know judgments about others. But look, what I want people to remember though, okay, and I've seen the promo for this movie. Emma Watson looks gorgeous. She's you know she's doing a wonderful job as a young feminist and you know in her life as and her art. Um, but if people have a problem with a gay moment in this movie. How about the fact that the beast is some sort of goat lion combination <laughs> character? She's having sex with a goat lion. <laughs> it's bestiality. <laughs> That's okay, apparently. Eating the Beast is a film about bestiality. That's okay. That's fine. Don't worry about that. But a gay moment. Oh, my goodness. I want to know, though, because it is funny that Emma Watson is involved because that when you look at the you know the, the blueprint of Beauty and the Beast, it's not really a feminist tome, is it? It's like, not really at all. It's kind of like, yeah, you can be an accomplished young woman and beautiful, but it doesn't matter what the guy looks like as long as he's loaded. <laughs> Do and then you'll sort yourself out. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like not all feminists have to agree and Emma's probably just doing it for the cash. She was also in the news this week because she posed for Vanity Fair in the lead up to the promotion of mm. this film and there's one of the photos um, she was, well, you know, bare-breasted but it was an art, artful photo mm. um, and it was it wasn't FHM magazine Emma Watson, it was more kind of this crocheted was, cardi of yeah, sorts. Yeah, similar, just to the covering. One, similar to the one in uh, Real Housewives of Sydney, uh, the first episode, <laughs> I'm not sure if you saw it, Zan, that got thrown over it looked like a fishing that. net one of the housewives was wearing it and got thrown um into the into the sydney harbour it was a similar similar high fashion moment i think there <laughs> you are the best at footnote images for a podcast <laughs> me Warhurst. but yeah she she was pretty much like you know vilified by um a, a lot of people for it including women and she really um you know shouted back at that and good on her essay basically saying that mm. feminism uh, is about the freedom of choice it's about being able to express yourself in certain ways and feminism shouldn't be a stick to beat other women with and mm. I gotta say I agree like I think that people have a really weird idea about feminism and what constitutes uh, a fem feminist activity for me it is ba the basic you know drive and desire for equality yes and with that comes the freedom to do certain things that in the past have been judged or, uh, I guess, positioned, contextualised um, in a way that uh, keeps women, you know, in their boxes. Yeah. So I was, I was back in Emma all the way. Yep. I think, look, there's many types of feminists. We don't all have to agree. And this is, this is, and it's a hugely sexist assumption to think that all women think the same. That's just bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. So go, Emma. And go, Beast, whoever mm. you are. Lion, goat, man, hotness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, God. 
And I won't say no, I'm going to go and see it next week. Are you? I'm yeah. never going to see this movie. I you, love you, Disney. Do you see? I'm not, I'm not, I've never been a fan of Disney. This is, this is, people oh. are going to hate me for this. I just can't cope with their movies. I, I love Disney. Yeah. I love Disney. Like, yeah, I'm just a I never recovered it. from Bambi. That was it. And I just can't, <laughs> I can't go back. Bambi ruined me. And I'm like, I, I will not have your schmaltz tearing my eyeballs out with my tears. So, Miff, what are you banging on about this week, particularly? Well, well, I'm not banging on about it. It was just actually a really good read, a really interesting read, and that's the article that's up at the moment that's been put together. Look, it's a work plug, I will acknowledge, which is a bit of a kind of boring <laughs> thing to do on a podcast, but it's actually really worth a look. Uh, that Triple J's hack team put it together, a couple of members, and it's it was for International Women's Day, and it was basically the hack story on the gender gap in the music industry. So if you want actual numbers, actual facts, and yeah. all of that, it's it's really really fascinating, and there is still a gender gap, and things do need to change. Um, it's mainly focused on performance, uh, the the element of performance, where there are certainly far less women being involved. But there's also positive notes in it. Mm. Triple J Unearthed has more female artists, um, or is it? I think an equality between male and female artists at the moment. Being played, yeah, yeah. So you know there are positives. Um, so yeah, I think it's just really worth a read if you need some facts on some of this stuff, rather than just you know. There's so many thoughts at the moment. Gaffly around it's it's really nice to go back to the core yeah and also if it's too long didn't read is that your kind of vibe and they're mostly infographic facts so you just have to do them at a glance yes that's right yeah, um, at a glance and and also too i think i wanted to acknowledge as part of that too um i know that we've got a long way to go in terms of uh, female performance in music but i do have really positive experiences as a person working you know behind the scenes i think that's something that we a lot of people haven't acknowledged this this week is what a positive place the music industry itself is like mm. I remember when I was starting I was an editor of a street press magazine and um, my contemporary in the same city in Melbourne was a woman um, the editor of Rolling Stone was a woman uh, yeah. this is in the 90s and the editor of a magazine Juice magazine was also a woman at the time so you know like I think there have been small steps in other areas within the music industry so it's not about people being kind of frightened of the music industry as if it's this big horrible sex place like there's actually some really great women involved um but we do need to up the performance side of it a lot here here so zan what are you banging on about this week um, sheep farming, Hello? which is something that's very close um, to my heart. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, <laughs> are you in love with someone that you haven't been able to tell me about, Zan? Is this, is this a some, new romance on, on the horizon? I've just, I just, been exploring bestiality and no, I have not. No. Um, look, Miff, I never We're thought that I would... that out. <laughs> no! I've that's been exploring fair. bestiality. There's your tagline. <laughs> tagline for the podcast. Sanro explores bestiality. Shut it. I think this is our this is our inaugural episode, and look at what we've done to ourselves. Our parents are going to love this. Oh, I forgot. My <laughs> mum and dad are going to be listening. Hello, Helen and Mel. G'day. Uh, Myth Made Me Do It. Now, this is a book that I picked up um, called The Shepherd's Life, A Tale of the Lake District. I want to tell you that it was a big hit in 2015, and one of the reasons I picked it up was because I'm considering travelling to the Lake District, which is um, in the UK and is mm. famed to be... If you've ever seen that film, The Trip, with uh, Steve Coogan, yeah. uh, in it, it's it's pretty much through that era. It's, it's the Cotswolds, darling, isn't it? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yes. You know, you know better than I do. It's very popular. 
gosh. But this is a book about sheep farming there and particularly like away from, you know, the, the multi-million dollar industry of tourism, what actually life is like there year round, not just when the weather is good. Mm. And the guy that wrote it, James Rebanks, is just captures this beautiful uh, but also very real pastoral existence and really just calls bullshit on the kind of highfalutin university speak about his area. And just you feel, you know, when you like read something, I think the best books are books where you read about an area or a subject that you had no, no idea about and never any inkling of finding out about it and you're thoroughly enthralled. And so this, The Shepherd's Life, <laughs> is I'm thoroughly enthralled in sheep farming in the Lakes District and it's taken me away. And you know what? I just, I kind of love just being swept up. So Aww, that's who beautiful. knows? That was a very unexpected bang on, Zan. <laughs> banging on this week about sheep farming. Although when I lived in the UK, the best thing, once a year when it was lambing season, they yes. the BBC, BBC One, like this is like ABC main channel, BBC yeah. would do a one-hour program on lamb births around the country. <laughs> with footage? Yeah with, yeah, with footage. And like they'd be talking about, you know, the lambs birthing at this farm and this farm. And it was extraordinary. <laughs> and, you know, it was all very lovely and whatever. But then I was thinking, these poor children watching this show have no idea <laughs> that they that's going to end up mainly on your plate. Oh, God. Well, that maybe that's the point. Maybe mm. that's the point. Mm, life. Uh, more more <laughs> big discussions, big <laughs> concepts, circle of life activity when we catch up with you again next week on Bang On. Subscribe to the podcast. If you, we loved, are new. It, if you loved Zan's conversation about um, <laughs> exploring bestiality, feel free. <laughs> I cannot promise you that we will ever speak of that again. Maybe there'll be other podcasts that you can visit, Mm. but we will be here next week um, banging on. So that was fun. That was fun. I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting the sack. (laughs) God.